Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believers Church. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, our guest speaker. Nobody cares. Sorry, Glenn. All right. You know, he said, and then the Sunday after that is what? Easter Sunday. And again, we aren't going to be in chapter 7 that week. We're going to be hearing, again, a special word in light of the Easter Sunday, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. You up for that? All right. Praise the Lord. So don't come ready for a message in the story next week. Um, all right. What else have we got? Oh, Easter Sunday. So, our brother, um, our brother Lance talked about the water baptism Sunday. So I want to remind you, uh, if you have not, if you call Jesus Christ your Lord, and you have not yet been water baptized, I would encourage you to do so. This morning we heard that wonderful song. What is that song? It's everything and nothing less. Everything and nothing less. To me, water baptism is a wonderful practical expression of that reality in your life. You may go, oh, I feel a little awkward, you know. Everything and nothing less. Let me tell you, Jesus is going to call you to far greater awkwardness than water baptism. Right? And the question is, are we willing to go where Jesus calls us? That's fundamentally the question. That's my whole message. I could just sit down right now because... That is fundamentally the question. So, uh, um, ushers, could you bring up the clipboards? If you have not been baptized yet, and you know the, know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, call him Lord, I encourage you, please sign up. It's going to be a great time. And if you're part of the family here, Metro Believers, I encourage you strongly, come to that time and support your brothers and sisters that are getting baptized that day. All right, I think I covered all the housekeeping. Uh, so, through our journey through the Bible that, that we've been doing, hearing about God's story and the big picture of it, we've been encouraged to understand that each one of us has a piece in that story, our story. And we've been hearing from members of this church, hearing their testimonies. They've been sharing their story and how fundamentally God has changed their life and made all the difference in the world. And this morning, I'd like to ask you to welcome with me our sister Danielle King to come share her testimony. Good morning, NBC. Great to be here. So, my childhood was spent attending a small church in a beautiful English village. When I was seven, I gave my life to follow Jesus, my mom leading me in a prayer of salvation. However, at age 15, the allure of Saturday nights with friends and wanting to sleep in on Sunday mornings gave way to me walking away from and ignoring God. I willfully chose to live a life that led to an emotionally dark and very lonely place. But God wasn't going to leave me there. He had a rescue plan. At age 18, 
I had a series of repetitive dreams, each one the same. In the dream, I was at a crossroads. God was beckoning me, and a signpost was pointing his way on one side of that crossroads. He was showing me that up ahead, there were many things he wanted to give me if I chose a life with him. On the opposite, on the opposite side of the crossroads, directly opposite, I saw the devil ready to receive me. And beyond him, I saw the flames of hell and knew. Knew this was where I was headed. But God wanted to rescue me. It took a few months to disentangle myself from an unhealthy relationship, but I finally made a solid decision. I chose the God in my dreams. I chose my rescuer. Even through the initial early years new Christian struggles, I never gave up. I knew God was my destiny, and I wanted nothing else. At age 22, one night I found myself desperately praying, seeking God's direction for my future, and that night I had a dream. An angel was showing me around an American city. I found myself beside a barren mound of concrete covered with stones, yet there were a couple of new green shoots appearing, and suddenly what I guessed was another angel popped up from behind the mound and said, that's strange, nothing ever grew here before you came. I woke up and knew that God was calling me to America, that he had a work for me here. Now I also realized the mound also represented my barren, sinful past. And even out of that, he grows life. So I fell back to sleep and back into the same dream, this time another angel showing me various places around the same city. Now, I had no idea how my journey to America would happen. In the meantime, I moved to Wales in the UK, a place God rescued me to for intense discipleship and healing of past hurts in a beautiful church full of people that loved like I had never known love before, just like the people in this church. Well, at age 26, some church connections led me to Eden Prairie in Minnesota, and I came to spend a summer there staying with a family, attending their church, teaching a drama program, and meeting the second love of my life, a man named Judah King who in the last 13 years has shown me more of the love of God than any other human being in my life. Since arriving stateside at the age of 27 and getting married, we have experienced many wonderful blessings, which have included two beautiful children, a church we call home, and lots of memories with precious family and friends. We have also faced many challenges specifically to do with health. But through injuries, unemployment, sickness, the loss of a precious baby, and depression, my God has never failed. He always rescues. He always speaks. He always gives hope. He always pursues. He is always present, and he always grows life. Thank you, NBC. Great job. Let's just continue with some prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're so, so thankful. We are so, so thankful that as our sister said, you're not willing to leave us. You're not willing to forsake us. You're not willing to leave us 
on a pile of concrete, but you can cause growth out of that concrete. Father, thank you so much for the living word. Thank you for the privilege to walk through your word this morning. And Lord, we offer to you this time together. We want to open your word and we ask you to fill our vision for your calling, for your direction in our lives. And Lord, today I ask you, show us our own hearts. As we study these people from 3,500 years ago, show us our own hearts. Show us where we're wandering and call us back to yourself. We bless you now and thank you for this time committed to you in the name of Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, friends, we're, the, we're in chapter 6 of the story. Uh, we're going to cover Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all this morning. All right? You ready? Strap in. Uh, the message, I call it communion or complaint. It's your choice. Our theme is wandering. That's what it's, the chapter 6 is called. It's called wandering, and I called it communion or complaint. It's your choice. I looked up wandering in the dictionary, and it's uh, essentially, the term means aimless or random movement without purpose or intent. Wandering. I don't know what you conjure up in your mind when you think of wandering. Um, it sort of sounds romantic, you know, just wandering. But as a lifestyle, it sucks. I know this from personal experience. I was, I left college, actually I was kicked out of college with a 1.2 GPA. Yeah, 1.2. It's hard to get a 1.2. Um, uh, they asked me to leave. They said I wasn't serious. I wasn't sure what they were talking about. But um, I went and got a job uh, at L.A. Rubber Company in East Los Angeles where I met my beloved wife, Robin, and uh, I was being groomed to be a salesman, probably the worst uh, thing, a career for me to have. Um, a functioning introvert, you know. A salesman? Uh, I don't think so. Ken is a great salesman. I can't do it. I quit that job, married, actually I married Robin first, then quit the job. And uh, so I got the boss's daughter and then quit his company. Isn't that weird? But uh, there's a lot more to this story, and I'm not going to share all of my story today. But um, suffice to say that there came a period four years, five years into our marriage where uh, Robin was working during the day, I was working during the night, and during the day I was on the couch with MTV. MTV was brand new. It was pretty cool. And uh, that's how I spent my days. And... Um, I was wandering. I was wandering. You know, God has fashioned us to need a purpose, to thrive when we have one. And when we don't have a purpose, depression tends to set in. Are you with me? That was what I was experiencing. Not necessarily clinical, but what's going on? But God has created you and I with a purpose. 
Every person within the sound of my voice has a calling from God, a purpose from God. You want to know what it is? I can tell you what it is. You may have been wondering, I don't know what my calling is. I'm looking for my calling. Well, I can tell you what it is this morning. You want to know? Three people want to know. Okay, but the rest of you, it's yours too. God's purpose for you is twofold. One is to live in communion, an intimate, loving relationship with the God of the universe. All right? That's number one. Loving communion. The second is to lead others into the same relationship by your example. All right? Does this sound familiar to what we've been studying so far in the story? It's the exact same calling God had on those Israelites 3,500, 4,000 years ago. To be set apart, to dwell with Him, and to be different, that they might be an example of what it means to live in communion with God. And that's the whole point of this message today. Have you entered into your purpose? Or have you, in big or small ways, rebelled against it? And are you now, as a result, wandering? Are you wandering? This call and this purpose is not just a one-time, I prayed and I'm saved kind of thing. Living in communion with God is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment thing. And living in an example, a living example of relationship with God is a moment-by-moment, day-by-day thing. God has set Israel apart to behave differently. God has set you apart to behave differently. Continual choices to take control And to behave just like the nations or just like our society is called rebellion and the result is wandering. Dan, this is a little heavy this morning. Lighten up. It's going to get encouraging. Bear with me. So let's get to the specifics. Last week we learned that after the Israelites were finally sprung from Egypt, they camped at Mount Sinai. And for the first time since the Garden of Eden, God comes to live among his people in a tent designed by God. Is that awesome or what? That tabernacle was designed that, and the Ten Commandments were given so that God could come and live with his people. And to prepare for that, he gave them all that stuff. The, the Ten Commandments, the tabernacle, all kinds of rules and regulations. How long do you think it took to prepare them for God to come and dwell in the tabernacle before they started marching. Anybody know? Nobody knows. Two, what? Two years. Nope. It was 11 months. Took them almost a year. Took them about uh, three months or four months to get to Sinai. And then it took about 11 more months. Oh, thank you for bringing those up. I forgot, Paul. I'm sorry. Um, Took them about 11 months to get the tabernacle built and get the get the Ten Commandments all figured out. And then they began to march. It's time to march. God begins to lead Israel. The people in the center of the upper story. Okay, God is in their midst and He begins to lead them to the promised land. 
Numbers chapter 10, that's where we're picking up the story. Numbers chapter 10 and verse 11. In the second year, in the second month, on the 20th day of the month, the cloud lifted from over the tabernacle of the testimony, and the people of Israel set out by stages from the wilderness of Sinai, and the cloud settled down in the wilderness of Paran. They set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. Now, I just want to take a moment and get this picture. They've been camping out for a year at Sinai, roughly a year at Sinai. They've gotten the Ten Commandments. We heard how they rebelled and they built the calf and all of that happened. God was straightening them out, telling them how to live together in community. And they were waiting for the day. God said, I'm going to lead you by a pillar of, fire, pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire by night. When the cloud rises, that's time to move out. When the trumpets are played, two silver trumpets, it's time to move out. They've been waiting, they've been waiting, they've been waiting, they've been waiting. And one day, this cloudy pillar rises from the tabernacle. Can you imagine it? Get it in your mind's eye. And the tump trumpets, boop, boop, I don't know what it sounded like. Two silver trumpets blew an alarm, and God had made it very clear what the sound was that was to indicate it was time to move. Do I have a picture? I'd like that picture up there. You know that's a picture of? That's a picture of the greater Chicago area. 2.6 million people live in that box around Chicago. That's approximately, they estimate, how many people were camped in the wilderness. That's a big area to cover, wouldn't you think? So now the trumpets call out. The trumpets call out, and God gave all each tribe a specific banner. He gave each tribe a specific order of which to march. He gave direction for how to take down the tabernacle and how to store it and when it was to go off. And the Levites were carrying the ark and the carrying the the table of incense and the table of showbread, and they, they went one by one, tribe by tribe, moving out. I would estimate, my, I'm just guessing, but I would think it would take about four, five, six hours to get them all moving. Have you ever tried to get your ch- children to come to church and get here on time? I mean, ever, ever visited with small children the Mall of America? I mean, it's kind of hard to get, you know... Can you imagine getting 2.6 million people moving all at the same time? So here they go. The trumpets go. The banners start moving out. It says, for the first time, at the, they set out for the first time at the command of the Lord by Moses. Can you imagine it? It's moving. Can you imagine Moses kind of going, whoa, it's happening. Everybody's going and they're going, this is cool. This is what I talk about. God gives direction. They all follow the direction, and they're all moving together. This is in the center. They're operating in the center of the upper story. They're operating at the command of God, in communion with God, at His direction, in full obedience. And it must have been amazing. Miraculous, even. Look at this next one. They're heading from Chicago to La Crosse. That's about how long they had to travel. 200, they believe, I mean, it's hard, they're not certain where Sinai was for sure, but some of the best estimates are about 260 miles. I've got a little guy up there, you can't see it probably, 
Google Maps says that's 86 hours or about 3.5 days. In Deuteronomy 1, it says 11 days. But it took them a lot longer than that. It took them another year to get from Chicago. Well, not Chicago. They weren't, they weren't here. They were in Sinai. To get from Sinai to Jericho, across, or to across the Jordan River from Jericho. They had a ton of awe and pride, I'm sure, as they walked in His presence and in their obedience. And that is purpose and faith coupled, united. And it was miraculous. But you know, it didn't last very long. You know how long that sense of purpose and faith lasted? Any guesses? Three days. Three days. Three, after three days... Numbers chapter, uh, Numbers chapter 11, verse 1. And the people complained. In my notes, I have that in really big uh, font and bold. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, His anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Three days in the center of God's will. This is a wearying pattern in the Bible. Humans are blessed and provided for beyond measure, and they complain. We see it from Adam and Eve in Genesis. We see it in the churches of Asia in Revelation. It's a common human malady. Everything provided. We were praying uh, before the service uh, and our sister was thanking God for all of his wondrous blessings. And you know what? We'll go home from church today and complain about something. I guarantee you, we're going to complain about something, right? No, it's just me and, Matt. It's just me and Ken. You know, this is a common malady. They usually complained about food, usually the lack of it, and especially the lack of variety. They, la- they complained about water, usually the lack of it and when they wanted it, the length of the trip and who's in charge. These are the common things the children of Israel, as you read in Numbers and Deuteronomy, are complaining about. They sound like spoiled kids. They were miraculously provided for for every step. You think about it. 2.6 million people in the desert. Where are they going to find water? How much water do you think they needed? Where are they going to find firewood? Somebody did some estimates. How much food do they need? You know, there was this manna, they call it, they, <clears throat> they complained about the manna. How much do you think they needed for about two to three million people in the desert? Estimates, about 2,000 tons each day. This would require three freight trains each a mile long. How much firewood? About 400, excuse me, 4,000 tons of wood. A few more freight trains each a mile long. 11 million gallons of water a day. A freight train with tank cars 1,800 miles long just to bring water. I mean, I, got, I want to ask God some questions when I see him. You know, Moses smacked a rock, but I mean, three million people. That's a lot of water. God was providing for them miraculously all along the way. They had every reason to believe and no reason to complain, and, neither, and so do we, right? And yet... They did over and over. They moved from their purpose and faith and they descended to complaining and unbelief as a habitual 
a habitual way of life. You ever find yourself falling into this pattern? I do. I don't complain like this about the food. My wife does an amazing job. I complain about my work a lot. Right, Robin? Yeah. God has put me there for a purpose. He's called me there to serve him there and use my gifts there, and yet I complain at how difficult it is, how stressful it is. You know why? Because I'm not trusting God. I'm not depending on him. So how does God view the complaint? Numbers 11. How does God view this complaint? God says, in, or Numbers eleven eighteen says this, And say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. Okay, they're complaining about the food. I'm going to give you meat. For you have wept in the hearing of the Lord. Another translation says, wailed. <laughs> they're wailing. I don't like this manna. It's angel food. <clears throat> you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us meat to eat? For it was better for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat and you shall eat. You shall not eat just one day or two days or five days or ten days or twenty days, but a whole month until it comes. Get this one. I've only seen this once. Uh, Until it comes out your nostrils. Oh, my goodness. Until it, Robin will share that. With, oh, you already did your testimony, didn't you? Okay. Um, becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did we come out of Egypt? How does God view our complaints? He doesn't see it as a rejection of our circumstances or even of his provision, Right? What does it say in verse 20? It says, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. I'm just saying what it says here. When you and I complain about what God has done in our life and His provision in our life, He calls it a rejection of Him and His presence in our lives. He sees it as a rejection of himself, his presence, his authority and control in his person. It is this attitude and state that the children of Israel traveled from Mount Sinai to Kadesh Barnea on the border of the promised land. God was bringing them to the promised land and ten times it tells us, ten times they, they provoked the Lord with this kind of behavior. They're striving for control because they don't trust God. The songs this morning, at least two out of the four, maybe three out of the four, are talking about surrendering, yielding. And I tell you, friends, we we can stand there and sing that and just go amen and amen. But when we are complaining about God's provision in our lives and His calling in our lives, and we're complaining and not willing to obey Him in the smallest of things, don't... Let's not talk about the big things. Let's talk about the little things. Life is made up of a large bundle of small things, not a small bundle of large things. Right? When we're complaining about that and ignoring it and refusing it, we're not trusting God. So at this point, God commands them to spy out the land they're about to enter and inherit. Okay? 
Spy out the land. Twelve men saw the same things, but there were two different reports. God is going to send, through Moses, God is going to send 12 men into the land of Canaan, the promised land, to spy it out and see what it looks like. Is it a good land or a bad land? If they're going to find out if the people who live there are strong or weak, and if the cities are fortified or not. Now, when God tells you what to do, clearly it's fine to analyze the situation. God does not call us to mute our brains and obey like robots, right? The real question is, with what kind of eyes do we examine His direction? Okay? With what kind of eyes? Eyes of faith or eyes of fear? Belief or mistrust? Twelve men saw the same things. Numbers 13.27 says this, And they told him, We came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. The twelve men came back. They had a common acknowledgement that the land indeed is filled with fruit. They brought back figs. They brought back pomegranates, grapes, and it was awesome. But the report of ten was this. We are not able. Numbers 13.28 says, however, okay, we saw it's filled with the land filled with milk and honey, however, what eyes are they using? Eyes of faith or eyes of fear? Fear. The howevers of our life are key red flags we're approaching with eyes of fear. The people who dwell in the land are strong. And the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Numbers 13.31 Then the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. All of the data that they shared in 28.29 is accurate. Their conclusion is inspired by fear and lack of trust in God. These guys, uh, what about the other two? Joshua and Caleb, they saw the same things, all the same data, but their report, the report of the two, he will bring us in. We are unable, he will bring us in. What eyes are they looking at it? Faith. Faith. Faith will always inspire us first to look away from ourselves and always conclude He is able every time. Numbers 14.7, and said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, the land which we pass through, pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. These guys saw that the circumstances don't define the results. Rather, the Lord defines the results. 
Write that one down, okay? I'm, on the side, in the margin there, write that one. The circumstances do not define the results of the call of God in your life. The Lord defines the results. I always used to say, I'm your problem now, Lord. I surrender, I'm, nor, I'm now your problem. I left California in a great job in aerospace to come out here to serve the Lord. Left, uh, left my retirement behind and I said, Lord, I'm now your problem. I'm now getting toward retirement age and it is his problem. I've got to trust. I can't fear. They also clearly had the Lord's mind. They saw that this fear for what it was rebellion against the Lord. Now, I'm not telling you every time you're afraid, you're in rebellion. No, 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 no. Not at all. But whatever is not of faith is sin. That's a scripture, Ken. What verse references that? Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Anybody have that? It's in Hebrews, I think. All right, we'll find that for you. Somebody will get it for me. Don't believe me. Believe the scripture. It says in, back there in Numbers 14.9, only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. Not believing the Lord, distrusting the Lord is sin. Making that a habit in our lives will lead us to a wandering life. No matter what miracles God had done, their fear was bigger in their thinking than their God. They chose, therefore, to take control of their future because they could not trust God. Laying hold of the controls is an indicator that we are not trusting God. And there is a solemn warning here, and I'm slowing down for a second. Think about it. We see a common pattern in Scripture when men insist on their own way, eventually God grants their desire with all the natural consequences of it. Are you with me on that? Let me repeat it. We see a common pattern in Scripture when men insist on their own way. Eventually, God grants their desire with all the natural consequences of it. Wandering. The, war, the reward of not trusting God. Okay? Wandering is not what God wanted them to do. For a New Testament reference, go to Romans chapter 7 and look at Romans 7. I call that wandering. Go to Romans 8 and read that. That's the promised land. God does not want us to hang out in Romans 7. He wants to bring us to Romans 8. But that's just homework for you. Okay? Wandering. The, ro- the reward of not trusting God. Numbers 14.22. None of the men who have seen my glory... And my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test these ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers, and none of those who despise me shall see it. God gave them up to the natural outcome, wandering in the wilderness until that generation died away. Wandering in the wilderness is the natural outcome for anyone desiring their own way and rejecting God's way. Friends, whether you're saved or you're not saved, if you continue to want to do your own thing and be, as our brother, as our sister shared in her testimony last week, 
to be the God of your own life. And friends, being saved doesn't uh, automatically put God on the throne of your heart. Am I right? We can push Him right out of there real quick and be our own God and lead our own life the way we want to, regardless of what the Scripture says. The outcome will be a wandering life. This chapter of the story closes with 38 years having passed in wandering in the wilderness instead of entering the land flowing with milk and honey. Friends, we want to enter in, don't we? Thank God Robin wants to enter in, because so do I. How about you guys back there? You want to enter enter into all of God's promises for you? Yeah, amen. We can't be wandering. We need to believe Him. I'd really like to say right here that the old rebellious generation died along the way, and the younger generation learned their lesson. Right, all the youngers, all the millennials, right? We, we, we got this thing down. The oldsters, they don't get it. <clears throat> I'd love to say that uh, they, the younger generation, learned to value God's presence, His miraculous care, His purpose and plan. But I can't say that. Despite the punishment of the wilderness wandering, just before they reached the Jordan River across from Jericho, we find them doing what? Anybody know? complaining about the food again. They've learned absolutely nothing. Complain. Back where we began, complaints, Numbers 21.4. From Mount Hor, they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. There are so many stories in here that we just cannot talk about. And the people became impatient on the way. Oh, this one I put a big box around. Impatient on the way. That's a type A's out there. Any type A's out there? Okay, pay attention. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. (laughs) They're wailing. First of all, they say there's no food. And then they say we loathe this worthless. They had food. Come on. They had some. It was great. I mean, anyway. They suffer God's correction for that behavior with miraculous deliverance. And no sooner are they free of that calamity than they fall into another one. They camp in the plains of Moab and get snared into immorality and idolatry. Numbers 25.1. While Israel lived in Shittim, the people began to whore with the daughters of Moab. Numbers 25.2. These invited the people to the sacrifice of their gods and the people ate and bowed down to their gods. Okay, they're complaining about the food. You know, they get, they get attacked by serpents, biting them and killing them, and they get miraculously delivered from that. And then they come in and then they start whoring with the nations around them uh, and then bowing down to their idols. This is just like what, you know, they got Aaron to do, build him an idol and be just like the nations. <clears throat> but we're now to the mind blower. Okay, the mind blower. That's, he said it earlier, that it's a fill in the thing. The mind blower. This is where it starts to get encouraging, okay? You ready to get encouraged? Okay. (laughs) Between these two significant failures of this new generation, they're camped out in the plains of Moab across the Jordan from Jericho. 
And a local warlord, afraid of this wandering mob of Israelites, hires a prophet to curse them. Three times Balak asks Balaam to curse the Israelites. Three times the Lord overrules, and through Balaam, God blesses Israel and says this. Numbers 23, 21. God has not observed wickedness in Jacob, for he is forgiven. Nor has he trouble, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with Israel, and the shout of their king is among the people. Is your mind blown? This is a sinful people. Constantly distrusting God. And he says, I see no spot. That's King James. I see no spot in Israel. Mind blown? God is for you. We are our own worst enemy. God is for his people. God is for you. The Israelites were their own worst enemy, and so are we. God is full of grace for the Israelites. God is full of grace for you and me. Thank God. Thank God. God sent that plague I mentioned among his people because of their rebellion. And he instructed Moses to fashion a bronze serpent and put it on a pole and hold it up. Anyone who looked up from their circumstances and gazed on the bronze serpent was healed of the plague. You remember that story? Jesus referenced this same passage when he said in John 12, 32, And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. How is it possible for God to say of you, of me, I have not observed wickedness in Robin, in Kristen, in Ken and Mary and John and everybody. How is it possible that he could say, I have not observed wickedness in you? Do we not fear? Do we not doubt? Do we not question God? It is only because Jesus Christ was lifted up from the earth upon the cross of Calvary. He took all of our sin upon Himself. And we are forgiven. We are forgiven. It's because He died and rose from the dead and ascended into heaven and sent His Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And it's only because of that that you, cannot, you and I can choose this morning. Choose what? Life. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He said in Deuteronomy, I'm not going to go there, but, but it's like the choice is ours this morning. Complaint. What's the other part of my title? I can't remember it. Huh? Communion. Complaint or compu- communion. You and I because of what Christ has done, and because the Spirit dwelling within you can choose this morning to break the pattern of wandering and instead choose the pattern of communion. Amen? God sees just as the eyes of faith see. In Hebrews it says, faith is the substance 
of things hoped for. This is what God believes of you and me. God sees the future as He intends it to be because it is is because it will be as he, he intends it to be. The only real question is, who will trust and obey? Who will trust and obey and enter into his story in all of the implications of it? His land of promise is awaiting you and me. The land of communion and blessed example. Which of you will choose to enter into it this morning? Which of you will choose? As the band comes up, I want to ask you each to take a spiritual inventory. Are you wandering this morning? Unsaved, you don't know this King of Kings and Lord of Lords is your life? As the, as the one who has given you life? Today is the day of salvation. I was sitting on that couch wandering. Watching MTV, I was depressed. And Jesus Christ came and He gave me a life. He gave me purpose. He gave me meaning that has never diminished. Oh, I've wandered since then. But today, you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, today is the day to choose Him. He's here will, waiting for you. If you're saved and you find yourself wandering, there's an answer for you too. Psalm 32, 2 says this, Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Sila, that means pause and think. Thirty some odd years ago when I was saved, the brother who was preaching preached this psalm. The hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. I was far from him and wandering in darkness. And when we keep silent and we hold it in and we don't respond, it says here, our bones waste away through groaning all day long. But Psalm 32.5 says this, I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Pause and think of that. All we have to do is admit to God where we're at. Are you resisting God's directions to lead your family and blaming it on your wife? Are you resisting God's directions to follow your husband because he's made mistakes? Are you resisting God's direction to you to modify your behavior because it may be stumbling a brother or sister or perhaps giving a bad impression of your holy God? Are you resisting God's directions to you to take that step of faith because you fear what might become of you? Today is the day to surrender to God.
to stop wandering as we continue to worship. Let's make it real, okay? Let's make it real. As we continue, this band begins to uh, lead us in worship. Let's make it real. The pastoral team is going to be on either side here. If you want to know more about Life Lessons, check us out online at MetroBelievers.com or write to us at Metro Believers Church, P.O. Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin, 53744.